Hey, we are st continuing this series on coming home. Um, man, God is such a good God, isn't he? He always lets us come back. Sometimes we feel like, man, I've gone too far. Uh, but he is that father that always allows us back. Last week, we started this series. If you happen to miss it, you know what I'm going to tell you. It is on YouTube. We have a podcast. You can listen on Facebook. There's a, a website. You can listen to the audio version of it, but then you get to miss any of antics that happen. But it's all there. And uh, what we talked about last week when we started talking about Come Home, we were dealing with the prodigal son and uh, the fact that he ran away. And, and all of us have that tendency to run away from God. Like we get content where we're at, and then we just kind of start drifting. A lot of times there are people, you don't like just decide overnight that I'm, le I'm leaving God's presence, you know. Uh, it's usually something that happens. There's a lot of times there are people that have left, but they haven't actually physically left yet. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like you're here, but you're not really here. And uh, we need to realize that, listen, it's very natural for us to get distracted and caught up and discouraged and whatever it is. And maybe you didn't, you know, it's not that I stopped loving God. I'm just not actively in a relationship with him. And that happens to a lot of people. So if you missed last week, listen, there's consequences to that, but there's always the ability to come back. So that's what I want to talk about today is that you can always come back. And, and I want to start by talking about, how many of you realize like getting from point A to point B in our world today has gotten a lot easier with GPS? Amen. All right. How many of you guys remember the old folded map? All right. That was always fun, uh, always especially to put it back. But let's be honest, there were some people that were really good at reading maps, and then there were others that weren't. How many of you guys were really good at reading maps? How many of you would be willing to admit that, man, I, I hated reading maps? Anybody? <laughs> Okay, there's a few hands out there. I love the honesty. And uh, for me, I've always been really good with directions. Maps came really easy. Uh, for others, not so much. And the problem with these maps sometimes is that, like, this guy's pulled over reading his map. But how many of you know, some of you guys, and I'm including myself, read it on the road, drinking your coffee, reading your map, and still driving? Anybody? Any, okay, my hand is up. I read the map sometimes still driving. I didn't fold it all the way out to where I couldn't see. And, you know, they didn't have the laws back then about, oh, you know, you know now you can't hold your phone hands-free. They didn't have that about maps. It's like, Psh, let me pull that thing out. Eat my bowl of cereal while I'm doing it, right? So, uh, but that was a problem. Now, other problems with reading the map is if you're driving and whoever is your navigator doesn't know how to read a map. How many of you know that's a problem, right? It's like... You know, okay, I'll just tell you where to go. Take a left. I don't know. I'm not sure. You know, flipping the pages upside down and all that. And uh, that's a problem. Other problem is if nobody in the car knew how to read a map, you might as well just throw it away. It's not doing you any good. So I came up with my own scientific study on how to determine if somebody can read a map. The one that can read the map is the one that actually knows how to fold the map correctly. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's like, I, my wife's not in here, but, uh, and I'm not talking about her, but if that just, and sometimes I would get the map, I'm like, it's not even folded right. It's like, it's got seams and it's got creases. You got to fold it right, but I'm moving on before I get in trouble. Some of you guys are going to tell on me. So today we have GPS. Some of you, how many of you guys have it in your car? 
Isn't that nice? If you don't, we have it on our phone. That's an amazing thing to have, but I don't know if you have encountered this, but GPS is not always 100% dependable. Yeah, some of you guys know what I'm talking. It doesn't always account for new roads or closed roads. It has been known to send you to wrong locations. Anybody ever went to a wrong location? But yeah, let me tell you, when, when, uh, when it was still more of a new technology, my daughter had a GPS, the Garmin, and we thought that was cool. And we were coming to Sacramento, and we're like, man, we'd like to find a good steakhouse. Where is there? So we typed in, I don't even remember what, what it was, but we're following the GPS. We turn right into a neighborhood of houses, and it's like the destination is on your left. And I'm looking at somebody's house here. And I'm like, I, either this is the wrong place or I'm going in here to see if they got some steaks for me. <laughs> that doesn't always send you the right place. Uh, another example, sometimes it sends you the long way rather than the short way. Anyone ever experienced that one? So uh, a few weeks ago, my wife and I got to go to Half Moon Bay. Let me just show you a picture. There we are. Yeah, there we are enjoying it. Uh, but let me say, I'm not from California. I don't know if some of you guys know that when I talk about the cowboys or not. But uh, uh, I'm not super familiar with all the highway names in the Bay Area. Actually, I'm not familiar at all. I know 80. The rest of them are just a bunch of numbers. 580, 380, 290, 460, whatever. And it's like, so I kind of know my way uh, uh, vaguely around some parts of it. But I have to rely on the GPS. So my wife typed in, you know, we're going to Half Moon Bay. And these were the routes, you know, come from Cameron Park, Sacramento 80, you know. And that's, the, you know, going over the Bay Bridge, which it shows that there's always traffic there. And uh, anyway, but it gives you an alternate route in case that one's... I've never done this route. That's crazy. Anybody ever gone that kind of route? Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, look at you guys. You know that. I, you know, here's the thing. These were the ways, and, and I kind of know a little bit there, but the GPS took us this route right here. It came down, all the way down, all the way down, almost to San Jose, and then back up around. And I didn't know about, was it 580, 880? Anyway, it's all confusing to me. 205, how is that all the same highway? Or is it? I don't know. Anyway, we're going down there. All of a sudden, I realize we're going all the way around the bay here. We're not going over any bridge here. And uh, it took us a while to get there. This says three hours, 30 minutes. I think this was about 14 hours. I don't know. <laughs> it was a long way. Uh, we did make it there, remember? Let me back it up. There we go. There we are. There we see. We did make it. So those are, here's problem. you know, that's problems with GPS. Uh, if you don't have a GPS or you don't have a map, what's the other resort that you have to do? Yeah, you got to ask somebody. Nothing wrong with that as long as that person really knows where they're going, where to send you. Anybody ever been sent the wrong way by somebody you ask directions for? Uh, one thing that I have noticed when you ask somebody for directions, some people will give you street names, which I like. I want to know the street name. Other people will give you landmarks on how to get there. Turn by the McDonald's and then, you know, go by the big oak tree and then take a right. And it's like, wait, big oak tree? What's big? You know, that one looks kind of big. I don't know about that one right there. Uh, landmarks aren't great for me. I like street names. Anybody who likes street names? Who likes the landmarks? See, there's people that like each of them. Here's the confusing one. And I've heard this one way or another. I kind of wrote out my own thing on here. Uh, but here's a direction that somebody may give you. Take the 5th Street on the right, go about 4 or 5 miles, 
Look for the road on the left. Go past that road, and there'll be one more on the right. Don't take that one. It'll be the next one after that. Okay, you're following me. You know where I'm going, right? Then go past the pond, not the little one, but the big one. And then you, will take, then you will take the next two lefts, and the house will be the third one you come to. But don't count the barn that looks like a house. Turn into the second driveway. How many of you, I'm lost already, and I even left this guy. Like somewhere halfway through. I don't even know what you're talking about, buddy. Thanks for the info. i got to find somebody else to give me directions. Cause that, anybody ever have something similar to that? You're like, I, you know, just stop talking because I'm not, you know, I want to put my ears. I'm just driving away because I don't know what you're saying. Here's the thing. I'm afraid that the same thing can happen for people that have lost their way. They know where they need to go. They just don't know how to get there. They know that they need to be in right relationship with God. They know that they got to get their life right. But it's like, what do I do? How do I get there? I don't understand. And Jesus tells this story about the, uh, the Pharisees are criticizing him for hanging out with sinners. And so he tells the story, three different stories. But the prodigal son is the one that we focused on last week. And I'm going to continue it today. The first half, let me catch you up on the story if you're not familiar with it. There's a man, he had two sons. Uh, the younger son is the one that's the star of this story, and he doesn't have a name in the Bible, so I named him Fred. If anybody knows someone, Fred, then just say he must be the prodigal son. I'm going to refer to Fred and understand that's who I'm talking about. But Fred came to his dad. He wanted his inheritance before it was time. That was an insult. You don't take your inheritance before someone dies, but the father gave it to him anyway. Fred takes off, as the Bible says, to a distant country, spends all of his money on wild living parties, whatever it is. Eventually, Fred ran out of money. How many of you know that happens? And sometime after that, a famine hit the land. So now he's, he's broke, he's hungry, he manages to get a job feeding pigs to where he's desiring to eat the food that the pigs eat. How many of you know you've got to be pretty hungry for that? And there he is, and the Bible says that he came to his senses, he wanted to return to his father. And so Jesus is telling this story, and we know that the father represents who in this story? God, God right? And, and uh, Fred represents any of us that are running from God, basically. So uh, Fred's in a pitiful situation, he's broke, he's hungry, he's alone, uh, no friends, running what was so fun at one point wasn't fun anymore. What he thought was a great idea, a lot of times we have a great idea. Oh, I'm going to do this on my own now. I don't need anybody. I'm just going to take off in my own direction. Wasn't a good plan, was it? And uh, he found out that doing things his way failed miserably. Can I just say, anybody ever found that out in life? Doing it my way is not the best way to do it. And so Fred had a decision. Here he is. Do I continue living with the feeding pigs or do I return home to my father where there's food, where there's warm beds, where there's clothing? Big decision, right? Hmm, I, I, that seems like a simple decision. It really does, doesn't it? Like when you're reading it, but in real life, what I have found is it's not that easy. Just to return back, when you leave God and do your own thing and miserably fail, it should be an easy decision to say, listen, I don't want this anymore. I'm through with living without boundaries and God's boundaries and God's protection. I thought I knew better. I'm going to go back to God. That should be an easy decision. But what we have seen in this life is that a lot of people still struggle with that. 
It's not just as easy just to return back. So uh, last week I had shared some of this that, that I got, a book I read a few weeks ago. It's called The Great Dechurching. And I tell stories of people in there that have left God, some of them that have come back. And over the last 30, 40 years, there have been a lot of people that left. doesn't mean that they don't believe in God anymore, but they're no longer actively in a relationship with God. How many of you know there's a difference there, right? And uh, so some of the stories I tell, there's bits of truth in it that can be repeated a hundred different times. Right, same story, different sets of facts. So I just want to share some of these stories of people that have left. One person wrote, says, we, I talk about it every now and then, but I just can't imagine walking back into a church. I ran for so long because I knew the life I was living was wrong. I just wasn't ready to face it. I thought I had ruined any relationship that, that God and I ever had and that I wouldn't be able to get back. Another person said this, what keeps me running? Failure, regrets, thinking about what could have been, unanswered prayer. It's so hard being where I've been in the church and with God and going back. It seems like I'm starting all over again. I guess I just don't want to pay that price. I'd like to go back to God and have a do-over. Don't get me wrong, I still love God. I'm just not sure of his love for me. Those are real stories of people. They want to come back, but it's hard. See, when you've completely messed up your life, the, the question is, how do I start over? How do I get back? How do I return back to my How do I find my way back home? And then maybe there's a lot of people that maybe you've not experienced the situations of Fred. You haven't hit rock bottom, but things aren't great. You know that they're not great. And, and there are some things you realize I'm missing some things. There's a disconnect. I'm, I'm slowly drifting away. So how do we get back? And I believe for Fred, he started with the breakthrough in Luke 15, 17. I, I love this. This is one of my favorite phrases in the whole Bible, when he came to his senses. How many of you know all of us need to come to our senses? But when he woke up, he says, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? So think about it. His miserable condition that he was in gave him fond memories of what used to be. Food, bad clothing. He had, here's the unfortunate thing. Fred had to lose everything for him to realize how wonderful he had it. How many of you know that story is repeated way too often? We think that there's something better. Life with the Father is so much better than life without him. And Fred, fortunately, he liked to eat. Anybody else have that addiction? You got to eat. I mean, I have some people, sometimes we eat too much, right? But he was hungry and he realized, I don't like this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. Home is better than running. And so the first step in coming back to God is to realize I want to go home. I want to go back to him. I want to go back to my father. Let me just say this, because as much as you try, let, let me just say, how many of you guys have friends, family, someone that you know and love and care for that's running from God right now? Let's put your hand. Come on. There's a lot of us, right? And wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to put the desire to come back to God in their heart? Don't you wish you had that key to be able to say, listen, you know where it's better at. It's time. If we could get everybody to come to their senses, wouldn't that be amazing? It doesn't happen that way. We can't make anybody want to come home. We can't put that desire for a restored relationship in them, but we can pray for that. 
Right? I've prayed many times for people that are running from God. Lord, whatever circumstances in their life, help them to hit rock bottom and to open their eyes and see you again. So that's a good thing to pray for them, but I can't personally do it for them. Amen? The road home starts with a desire. We have to make that decision. We have to come to that decision that I don't want it anymore. Uh, another testimony I want to share with you, this individual said, by the age of 11, I was smoking marijuana. By 13, I was dealing drugs. From the age of 10 to 26, I was running from God. My heart was hardened. No love for anyone but myself. I became selfish. I was so far from God that I had no emotion. I came back to God when I realized I was at rock bottom. I had been searching to fill a void which only could be filled with the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. Another person says... I lost my family and my friends. I became homeless. I lost my car. I couldn't get a job. I hit rock balling. All I was doing was killing myself. You see, when you're in a sad, desperate time, your fun, fun drinking party friends don't come around anymore. I was too ashamed to call anyone else and tell them I was hurting, so they didn't even know that, I, that they needed to come. There I was, alone, a prodigal child in a pig pen of my own making and very alone. That story has been repeated. Another person said this, part of me is desperate, listen to this one, part of me is desperate to make a change, yet there is a part of me that is really afraid. It's such a weird feeling to be so unhappy with so many things in my life and so scared at the same time to make the changes that I need. I've dug a really deep hole for myself in many areas. I want so much to feel content, but I continue to make the same choices that end up hurting me. It's almost like I've gotten used to the feeling of pain, whether I bring it on myself or others in a really awkward, backwards way. It's kind of comforting. Does any of this make sense? But there is still a part of me that way down deep under all the junk that still believes that there is more for me than what I am pursuing or allowing to happen in my life, that maybe God hasn't given up on me, even though I've turned away so many times. I feel very lost, like everything inside is broken. I don't want to run from my problems or my life because I know that won't solve what hurts inside. And so I have asked, uh, I've asked a question that I haven't asked in a year. Would you pray for me? That was a real story from somebody. Let me just tell you, some people wander away from God and don't really know if it's possible or how to do it to come back to him. But it starts with that desire. We've got to wake up to the desire to come home. And uh, I know that there have been some people that have been so far away, they don't really even have that desire. But at least you could say, you know what, I want to want to come home. It starts with that desire in our life. So for Fred, he realized he wanted to come home. And then he decided he's going to do it. In uh, verse 20, he says, I will set out. So he, he wanted to go back. Now he's saying he's making plans now. I'm going to set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So, uh, hired men. <laughs> so, make the decision. Here's the thing. We make decisions based off of our desires. True? Like, I have a desire. I'm going to make a decision. Like, if I want to go to the movie, I have that desire. I'm going to make the plan. Find out what time it is, make the plan to do it. So when we're going to come back to him, we've got to realize, have the desire. But then the second, we've got to make decisions. Make those decisions. And let me just say this, not everybody 
who wants to come back to God ever makes that decision. There's always hurdles that are in their way. Uh, and listen, we may have desires that we don't always follow through to, with. To, let me get that word out. That we don't always follow through with. All right? How many of you have ever heard of a New Year's resolution? Anybody ever make one? All right? Anybody ever break one? All right? Those are, we make them all the time. Those are good desires. Usually you make good desires. Nobody says, you know what? My New Year's resolution this year is to be broke. Right? Nobody ever, nobody makes those, we always make good decisions, things that we desire like, you know what, this year I want to lose 20 pounds. That's a good desire, is it? I mean, if you really need, some people it's not. For me, that's a good desire. But what happens in real life is like, man, I really want to lose it, but man, that donut looks really good. And so, uh, and so we don't complete it. Or what about this one? A lot of people have a desire to get out of debt. Amen. How many of you know that's a good desire? Why doesn't it happen more often? Because you still got that credit card with that high interest and you saw those clothes that you wanted. You got that vacation that you wanted to go to. You bought that new car that put you in debt past your eyeballs. You uh, went on that cruise that you probably shouldn't have and you put it all on a credit card. How many of you know you have the desire but you didn't make the decision? I've heard people say, you know what, I really want to obey God with my money. I'm going to start tithing. Great desire. I'm going to trust God, but it didn't happen because what? You didn't write that first check. All right? For people that actually write checks. Anybody write checks anymore? Oh, look at all you guys. I don't even have any checks. So uh, here's the thing. Lots of people have good desires. They just never make the decision to do it. All right? I've got to actually do it. You want to do it. You have to decide to do it. Now you got to do it. You got to take the next step and actually come home. I'm actually going to do it. I'm not. I'm not just a desire anymore. It's not just a decision, but it's an actual follow through. I got to put feet to my decision. I got to make that. So, uh, and this applies to any part of your life. Listen, this is not. If you're like, well, I'm not far from God. I've got a close relationship. This is true in many different areas. Every change that you need to make in your life, you've got to start with a desire. Because if you don't have the desire, you're never going to go through. You're never going to follow through with it. It's like whatever it is. I remember when, you know, I went to Bible college and then I went into the military after that. Some of you guys know that story. Uh, Pastor Colleen and I got married. And while I was still in the middle of Bible school. And all of a sudden, by some weird thing, she got pregnant. I don't know how that happened, but... Uh, it happened, and here I was. I was working. I was in the Army Reserves. I was uh, working as a waiter. I was cleaning a restaurant, and I was also driving a bus. Okay? I had four jobs and, my, and going to college at the same time. And, and, and she was working, and she was going to have to quit because the, the baby was coming. So I decided to go active duty in the military. And I was like, okay, well, I know I'm still called to ministry. So we will do this, get us past this thing, and then, uh, and then we're going to go in. So I remember when my time was coming close to get out, I, may, I, I had that desire. Lord, you're calling me into ministry. I don't know what it's going to look like. And so I had that desire. I had to follow through with the decision. My decision was I'm not re-enlisting. And, and let me tell you, I was in a conversation, another guy, uh, he'd been in a little bit longer, but we, would, we connected because he felt the same thing in his life. 
And we were both like, okay, let's make this, you know, neither one of us are going to re-enlist. And, uh, and we were committed to that because we knew God called us into ministry. And, and I remember I didn't see him for a couple of weeks. And I was like, and he came back and his head was hanging low. And he's like, I re-enlisted. I just couldn't do it. He had the decision. He had the desire and the decision. But guess what? He didn't put the action to it. I got out and became even more broke. It was like, okay, God, we're stepping out. I mean, I stepped into a ministry job that paid me $200 a month with three kids, three and under. Let me tell you, that was some good pay right there, good eating right there. I also delivered milk, and uh, I did whatever it is, because you, if you're going to follow, you've got to have the desire, you've got to make the decision, and you've got to have action. And this, like I said, this can apply to your life in, in many areas. Maybe you need to quit a bad habit. Don't raise your hand if you have a bad habit, but if you have one, how many of you know you got to first have that desire? Okay, I don't want this anymore. God help me. This habit is expensive. It's killing my budget, right? It's uh, whatever it is. Then you've got to actually make a plan to do it. Okay, God, that's my decision. And then guess what? You got to do it. You just got to follow through. Act on your decision. If you're running from God, go home. Whatever the other thing is, do it. That's what Fred did. Look what it says in verse 20. He didn't just say, I'm going to go home. He actually, let's all say that. Got up. got up. What did he get? He got off his backside. And then he went. He started taking those long steps back. And listen, his dad did not just live around the corner. I know I'm going back to my, if you remember, the Bible says that he went to a distant country. He had a long way to go to get back, which the problem with that is, is that you had a lot of time to th second guess your decision. Oh, I'm going back. Am I going to really do it? Oh, God, I don't know. I'm going to, maybe I will, maybe I won't. I don't know what it looks like for you, but Fred got out of that pig pen, took those steps back, and, and we don't really know what was going through his head in that, but it's like, okay, what am I going to tell my dad? I already took all my money. I already did all that. So I can imagine he started rehearsing things in his head like, uh, you know, God, I did an oopsie. You know, you're going to let me back in. Can I come back in? Whatever this thing is, he was broken and he came to the decision to say, Father, I have sinned. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He wanted to come in humility. And I'm sure he was nervous. Like I said, I've, I've talked with people. They've told me I've done horrible things, Pastor. They may, they may, other people may come back, but I don't know how God would ever let me back. I don't know how God would ever let me in. So many people face those same fears. How can God accept me? I mean, I, you don't have to raise your hand, but I know that there's people in this room that thought God would never take them back. You've been in a situation where you're like, man, I, I blew it. I did it. And so those thoughts came into his head. How would God ever accept me? And I don't know. I mean, for Fred in his mind, though he started playing the what if game. Anybody ever play the what if? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if my dad's still angry with me? What if he doesn't let me in the front door? What if I go there and, you know, all of these what ifs. And how many of you realize, and this is my made up statistic here, but 90% of the what ifs we play around in our head never happen. Isn't that true? It's like, what if this? What if that? Stop playing that and go back. Do the things that he says. And I love this. Verse 20, it says, uh, that's what he said. It's verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. 
All of those what-ifs disappeared at that moment. But then the, the son been rehearsing. Okay, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it once I see my dad. And this is what he said. He goes, this son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. In his brokenness. Think about the attitude that the son had leaving. Arrogance, rebellious, give me all of my money. I'm done with you. I don't want this anymore. I'm going to go live my own life. And then the circumstance of life began to break him. Now he's coming back in humility and submission to him, saying, listen, I'll, I'll be your servant. I'm not even expecting to be a son. I'll be your servant. And I believe that that was true repentance because true repentance always produces a change of heart. Amen? It always produces a change of heart. And listen, I don't know what the most important step that he made, coming, having that desire to go home, that's important, isn't it? If you don't, you're never going to go. Making the decision, that's important, but then actually doing it. But whatever way we get home, how many of you realize that every way home has to include this step right here? There's got to be repentance. And for some of you, I think many of you guys know, but if there's anyone here that doesn't, repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry I did this. That's not what it is. It's not being remorseful. Repentance is something different. Remorseful, we can all be remorseful. Anybody ever feel bad if you hurt somebody? Right? And then you do it again. Oh, I'm sorry, my bad again. Right? And then you do it, oh, sorry, my bad again. That's just being remorseful. Here's the definition of remorseful. It's sorry for the past, but doesn't want to change the future. I'm going to keep going down the road. If I run over somebody's foot, I'll apologize. I'll feel bad about it, but I'm going to keep going in the same direction. Right? A lot of people are sorry for the things they do. They're sorry a lot of times for the consequences that they feel. Oh, man, you know what? Now I've got to face the judge. Now I've got to face this. And it's like, I'm sorry, judge. I, I didn't mean to, but then guess what? You get out and you go back and do the same thing. That's crazy, isn't it? They're not, they're sorry, they're, they're not sorry enough to quit or to really change. Repentance is different. It's still sorry for the past, but it has a change of heart so that the future will be different. So repentance changes future behaviors so that past mistakes won't be repeated. How many of you are tired of repeating? You don't raise your hand on this. I'm not asking that. But you're tired of repeating the same old thing over and over again. You can't just be sorry about it. You can't just be remorseful. It's a repentance. I've got to change, you know? A lot of, if you live with a chip on your shoulder or an attitude, or an anger issue, how many of you know it's like, okay, God, i got to deal with this, or else I'm just going to keep repeating the same thing over and over again. You know, I blew up at that person. I'm sorry. I apologize. I repent. And then they do something again, and you do the same thing. How many of you know all you've been is remorseful? You haven't repented yet. You haven't changed your behavior. Repentance is truly sorry and a commitment to change. I'm not doing this anymore, God. I'm changing who I am. So here's the thing. Why don't people repent? I mean, this seems easy, doesn't it? This is all... Nobody's like getting any new revelation, I don't think, very much. But uh, why people don't repent is because there's three main reasons. I'm sure there's probably more than that. But we like to blame other people for the reasons we act the way we act. Right? It's their fault. Or we blame God. God gets a lot of blame. God, it's your fault that this happened. Or sometimes we're really good and we blame both. It's their fault and it's God's fault. Here's what one person said in their testimony. Said, I was furious at God. 
I was raised in a pastor's home, knew all the right things to do and say and pray and read. I had faithfully prayed and fasted for myself and my husband. I had done everything right for years, and God ignored my fervent prayers. If God was done with me, then I was done with God. I could ignore him too. I didn't start this fight. God did it by ignoring me. How many of you know that's a blame game right there? You start blaming everything. In our story on the prodigal son, Fred was willing to take the blame. It wasn't the pig's fault. It wasn't his dad's fault. It wasn't his friend's fault. It wasn't the church's fault. It wasn't any of those. He realized this is my fault. Amen? Repentance doesn't point finger and blame other people or other situations. Fred basically came to this conclusion, Father, I have sinned. I did this. Let me just say this. Everybody's got bad situations and circumstances that happen in life, right? Has anybody's life been like a, you know, a cakewalk through life? Man, I've had no problems, no challenges, no trials. Anybody here like that? No. Everybody has encountered trials. What matters is what we do with it. We face challenges, and when we make the decision to go away or to do harm, that's us. That's our choice right there. Here's what one person said. I hope anything I've said or done doesn't sound like I'm trying to blame or make excuses. I know when it comes down to it, I am responsible for myself and my choices. Another person said this. I went through a phase where I didn't trust people or the church, and I even went as far as to say I can do this thing called life on my own. I became very self-dependent. It was awful. I went through depression, wrong relationship, and financial hardships. That's just a reality. Repentance says no blame. It wasn't your, it's not your parents' fault. Listen, I know not many people had perfect parents like my kids. I understand that. I'm just kidding, right? We'll talk about that one later, right? Anyway, uh, nobody has the perfect spouse like my wife. Okay, man, I'm, I'm lacking some humility there, right? You can't blame anybody else. It, we have to own it, amen? So the second obstacle why people don't repent is simply pride. Man, that's a big one, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I don't like to be wrong. Anybody else not like to be wrong? You know, that, you know if, when I was in school, there were some kids that would raise their hand. They knew they had the wrong answer, but they're raising their hand and answering it anyway. Let me just say, I didn't raise my hand unless I knew that I knew that I knew I had the right answer. Because I didn't want to be embarrassed. Anybody else like that? Like, I'll keep my hand down. until If I know, let me tell you, I'm going to raise my hand and I'm going to tell you. I might beat the person saying it that's going to answer it anyway, but uh, I don't like to admit that I'm wrong. I don't want other people to know I'm wrong. I don't like that. And, but the reality is when I'm wrong, how many of you know other people already know you're wrong probably anyway? They, are, they already know it. But here's the thing about pride. Proverbs 16, 18 says this. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Took me a while to realize that, but a prideful person won't repent. Because they don't want to admit that they're wrong. You know, like if I got, well, I'm not admitting I'm wrong. No, I'm right. I'm, I'm, I'm all good. It's somebody else's fault. I love this verse out of the message. It says, first pride, then the crash. Isn't that true? Anybody ever feel the crash? <laughs> it says, the bigger the ego, the harder the fall. I, gotta, I love the message sometimes. I'm like... Man, that is the truth. So uh, another obstacle, number three, is simply comparison. 
We start comparison. What? And it doesn't matter who you compare yourself to. You can compare yourself to the worst person that you know, and you're like, you know what? I may be bad, but I'm not that guy. Right? I ain't no Hitler, right? I'm not any of that. I never committed adultery, right? I'm, so I'm not, I never went to prison, so I'm not too bad. I may have addiction, but this guy over here, boy, he's got real addictions, right? And so we start kind of feeling like, well, I'm not too bad. I'm, and I was having a conversation with someone early, before service. I'm basically a good person. And you have that idea that you're kind of a good person. You're not that bad because you've compared yourself to people that are really bad. How many of you know sin is sin? And away from God is away from God. Regardless of the circumstance that took you there. Now the other side of that coin are the people that say, you know what? I'm the worst one here. I'm the scum of the earth. I'm the scum on somebody's shoe. God would never want me. And let me just say, you, uh, I've heard people say, you know what, Pastor Scott? If I told you the things that I've done and the things that I've said, I would shock you. Can I just say this? It's been a long time since I've been shocked by someone's story. I've heard some stories. Let me just say, if you heard everybody's story in this room alone, you'd probably think, oh, well, I'm not that bad. <laughs> right? Because there's always somebody with a worse story. And, and, and so it's not, like I said, here's the thing. God doesn't compare your sin to somebody else's sin. Amen? He's not like taking record of like, oh, this guy's pretty good. He only sins a few times. This guy, but this guy down here, oh, man, I don't know what I'm going to do with him. God doesn't, like I said, it's not about how far you've wandered away from him. It's just the fact that you're gone. Because God wants relationship with all of us. Amen? And so it's time to come home. That's what Fred did. He had the desire. He made the decision. He actually put feet to it. And he repented. And now he's just repented to his father. The moment of truth. What's the father's reaction? Verse 22 the father said to his servant, quick, bring... He doesn't even answer the son at that. Have you noticed that? He says, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And I love this. So they began to celebrate. Can I tell you, God celebrates when we come back to him. It's a celebration. I mean, as a matter of fact, it's not just God celebrating. The Bible says that all of the angels in heaven celebrate when just one person comes back to him. I can imagine. Some people say, oh, I don't know, I'm going to go to heaven. That's going to be boring just sitting on a cloud and playing a harp, you know. Uh, let me just say you've been watching too many cartoons if you think that's the case. The reality, it's going to be a party up there with God celebrating people that have come home. Amen. You get to heaven, you get to come back to God, you are forgiven, God doesn't remember your sin anymore, you may remember it, other people may bring it back up, but how many of you know God does not bring it back up? If it's forgiven, it's forgiven. If, it's, if the blood of Christ has covered your sin, how many of you know he will never see that sin again? Amen? Fred was restored to his family. He was home. He got his own bed back. He got all of the things that he thought were gone and that he would never see again. God is a God of restoration, isn't he? Amen. 
He, uh, let, let me tell you about a friend of mine that was uh, when we uh, pastored in Chico. And we had a school, we had a preschool, so we would order shirts all the time, sweatshirts, all of that stuff. And the guy that always sold it to him, he came around every couple of months, hey, you guys got any shirt orders? And uh, his name was John. That's, that's, that was his real name. I'm not just giving a fake name. Uh, but he would stop in all the time, and we would talk and, and just chat for a while, different things, what's going on in life. One day he came in and he just looked really distraught. He says, can I talk with you alone? And I'm like, sure. He came into my office. Uh, he just poured out his heart, his pain. Uh, he was separated from his wife, living with a, uh, in a relationship with another woman. And, and he was just really struggling with life. He just, he'd, he'd hit the bottom. And I told him the gospel. He gave his life to the Lord. And I mean, he was so different looking. And we're, I remember walking out of our office. I walked him to his car and he's like, I can't really explain it. He goes, but I just feel lighter. I, I feel lighter, like something has been lifted off. And, and he didn't have a history serving God. So he didn't, he didn't have any of that religious language. That's all he could explain it. And, and I knew exactly what had happened. His sin had been lifted off of him and had been put on Christ. And so he went home. Within a couple of days, he broke that relationship off with that other woman. And uh, his, his wife that he was still married to lived nine hours away, had a good job at a business there. And uh, they started communicating again, started developing that relationship again. She got transferred back to Chico at the uh, same position, and, and they restored their marriage. Their two boys that lived there with him were so happy to have mom and dad back again. It was a tremendous testimony. And, and let me tell you, that's the kind of God we serve. When we come back in to him, God begins to restore uh, the brokenness in us. How many of you know your brokenness needs to be fixed first? Right? He fixes that, and then he begins to do restoration in areas that you never thought possible. Things that you thought were long gone and you would never see again. And uh, John is home. Uh, we're still in relationship now. He lives in San Diego now. And, uh, but just uh, a transformed life. So how do you do it? How do you return home? You got to do this. Listen, I know a lot of people know John 3:16. If the second verse you need to know would be this one right here. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from all all unrighteousness. Amen. Hallelujah. If you don't have that one memorized, can I can we make that personal? Uh, just just kind of repeat it after me. If I confess my sin, God is faithful and just and will forgive me of all my sin and purify me from all unrighteousness. How many of you know that's powerful when you know that? And what I want you, last filling in your notes, when you come home, listen what, friends, you're forgiven. Amen? You are forgiven by God. Uh, it might take other people in your lifetime to forgive you. That's okay, because you're starting out with right relationship with God. Amen? That's the most important thing. Let me read you a couple of stories. This person said this, Living in a rundown apartment with a dead-end job and a car that wouldn't start, I decided to call home and plead for help and forgiveness. I thank every day, God every day that my parents answered and that they knew that this time I was serious about change. I moved home with my parents for a while, got sober, got back right with God, and, and everything is different. Another person said this, I truly have joy. I truly know God's grace. I truly know that I have been redeemed. 
I thank my family, I thank my church family as well for giving me the guidance and the strength that I desperately needed. I choose every day to live in His light and will never forget, even in my darkest time, that God always stood with me and had a great, much greater plan for my life. This last one that I want to read is a little bit longer, but, but listen as I'm, I'm reading it. If I was God and I was writing a book about my children, I would include all the best features and proud moments. As a proud parent, I wouldn't want people throughout time to see uh, my children's faults and horrible failures. And in God's amazing wisdom, that's not what he did when he wrote in the Bible. God gave us huge gifts in sharing these amazing stories. He did through people who failed miserably and brought God shame. We are so in awe of the people in God's word in the Bible that we forget that they lied, they killed, they cheated, they committed adultery, and many other sins that caused God to be sad that he uh, even made them at all. But he included all of that. And I'm sure I will never understand all the reasons God did that, that I know. But he shared those things to tell us that it's not about us, it's about him. And that while we are at our very worst, God sent his only son to die to bring us back to him. And I love this last line. I wish my story was an amazing story with amazing facts, but I am just humbled and thankful that my story is that grace wins. Isn't that good? That's the God we serve. God wants us home. God wants us in relationship. And listen, if you're in it, praise God. But if you're not, even if you, like I said, if you got one foot out the door, it's time to get them back. Amen. And maybe you're here and you're like, you know what? I am in a great relationship with God. That's awesome. But maybe you know somebody. Maybe you have family. Maybe you have friends and you know they're running from God. I want to encourage you, and I said this last week, nobody's too far from God that they can't come back. Amen? God knows how to get through the hardest hearts. The heart, there is no, no heart too hard that God can't penetrate. Amen? So I want to encourage you. You know, you're like, hey, listen, that's not me, but I, I'm praying. Don't give up praying. Don't give up dropping those seeds, you know. We, we toss out seeds and we water them, but the Bible says God makes them grow. We can, uh, Man, don't you wish you could make some of those seeds grow? I'm putting the seed in you and I'm pouring water on you. Why are, we can't do it, but we can plant it, we can water it. And listen, God, believe God to make that grow. I'm believing that for anybody that's here, that you have people that, that you know are running from God right now. Don't give up. Amen? I know I said it last week, but I think some of you guys needed to hear it again this week. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep seeking God. Keep bringing them before God that God will begin to soften that heart. Amen. Amen. Can I have everybody stand? And listen, uh, we have our prayer team. If you guys can come up. Listen, if you need prayer for any reason, I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, they will come and pray. But listen, if you want to make a commitment back to him, maybe you felt like you were drifting. Maybe you're here, but you know what? You're not completely here. And you guys know, you know what I'm talking about if that's you. And, and I'm not going to make you raise your hand or anything because uh, I don't want I don't want to point you out. But you know where you're at. You know where you're at with God. You know where you should be with God, but you know where you're at, and there's a gap there. Some of you guys, it may be a gap right here. Some people, it may be a bigger gap. But I want to tell you, when we realize where we need to be, all it takes is that decision to begin to go forward. 
So I'm going to ask that you just uh, repeat this prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being, sorry, my mind's breaking, for being the God that loves me. The God in the prodigal son that has his arms held out for me. That no matter how far I've been, you're always willing to take me back. And so, Lord, I want to make a fresh start with you. I want to make a fresh commitment with you. Lord, take my life. Forgive me of my sin. I know you forgave it already. And help me to follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As Timothy uh, leads us in this song, if you need prayer, I'm just going to encourage you to come up. Uh, We have several people that will pray for you. And uh, man, you guys have family coming this week. If you do, make sure that you're a light to them. This may be the only time. Don't get cranky at your family. (laughs) I know that some of them deserve it, but uh, love them. Love them in the kingdom. Amen. Amen. So uh, 